WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Welcome back to another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And I'm glad you could join us after a pretty brilliant Singapore Grand Prix. It's rare after an F1 weekend, I get to genuinely say that was a great race. And I think it's safe to say we got one. But in even cooler news, I have a very special guest alongside me for this edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. Um, you know him as one of the biggest F1 YouTubers we have in the scene right now. Um, I've always loved his work. He's he, he makes the videos that I've always wanted to make regarding the sport, and I'm very, very glad I, I can share a space with him again. You may remember him from our Australian episode of the WTF1 rap and dealing with the chaos that had come from, from that race weekend. But enough of an introduction, I blow enough smoke up his ass because uh, he, he'll, he'll just joke about the fact that England beat them in the cricket again. Uh, it's our favourite New Zealander, Mr. Josh Ravel. Hello, Josh. How is, how's it going, mate? Oh, don't stop there. Serenade me with all that, <laughs> uh, that hype. I, I, lo- I love that. I, lo- I love hearing my own hype. That's all good. <laughs> it's, it's great to be back here again, man. No, great to have you back with us. Um, you know, it, how's it been going content-wise for you? Uh, yeah, like great stuff in the works. I, I've got no idea why the videos are getting longer and thus lo- taking longer to make, but, uh, still enjoying what I've got, uh, what I'm doing rather. There we go. Got their sentence out and, uh, yeah, there's some <laughs> projects coming up, which are going to be quite something you're going to, you're going to see it when it comes out for sure. But I, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving producing content and, I can't see myself running running out of ideas. I've actually got uh, there actually are some ideas that have been on ice since 2019. Oh, so wow. you know, like th- there will always be stuff on the Josh Ravel channel, um, for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, we, we had ideas on ice from before the pandemic. That's how long ago this was. <laughs> that, <laughs> like, good to know you've always got something cooking just in case. I wish I had that level of productivity. But uh, even at WTF, oh, I can't tell you how sad have. my life is, though, doesn't it? again you said it not me (laughs) (laughs) i did not i did not intervene in that one in any way shape or form but uh, no not at all i was gonna say like (laughs) delighted to have josh back on the show and uh him being a new zealander has got nothing to do with at least one of the takes that are on this episode no um no not at all not at all (laughs) so uh, like his appearance on this show is purely coincidental i promise um, so, for those who don't know, because as I always say, every podcast is someone's first. You, the fine WTF audience, send in your hot takes to the show. Normally, this is on Twitter um, every Monday morning. Look out for the Hot Takes Wednesday chili bottle, and you can send in your takes in response to that take. You can also send them in via my Instagram account if you want, DreWTF1. You can follow me on there um, and just send me a DM, and I'll see what I can do and try and get some on, some of them on the show as we do. You can also contact the show contact at wtf1.com if you want to send them in via email that is also possible all the hot takes for that show get forwarded to me so again we'll try and get some email ones on there as well thank you all for the very kind words also regarding last week and the potential of would you guys like a sixth take per episode if it meant the show was nearer an hour long the response was almost universally yes we're completely okay with that so in future i will try to get a sixth take on per episode even if it means the show goes nearer an hour so thank you all very much for the kind words it does mean a lot it means a lot that you guys don't mind another 10-15 minutes of podcast if it means um extra takes and or more of your opinions coming through so thank you very much for that so once those takes are sent in uh me and my guest in this case josh will uh have a little bit of back and forth regarding what we think of so said take and in the end we will score them on a scale of one to five one being that we strongly disagree with it and five being that we strongly agree so this should be a fun one there's no new zealand f1 drivers that are mentioned in these in these in these takes at all isn't that right josh (laughs) no not at all not at all (laughs) so josh are you ready for hot takes wednesday I am ready. Let's go. Let's do it. Take number one. And it comes from Hannah Brown on Instagram. <laughs> and I uh, will find the exact quote just, just to give it every possible chance. It says, 
Because Hydra, I love the podcast. Thank you for making my Wednesday morning commute so much better. Thank you, Hannah. That's very kind of you. My hot take is that Liam will take Checo's seat at the end of 2024, especially after seeing his performance this past weekend. Now, oof, this this is a, this is a loaded one. Now, Lawson had almost certainly his best weekend in an F1 car so far, made Q3 during Singapore, uh, as well as obviously finishing ninth. That was AlphaTauri's best result of the year so far. So yeah, safe to say, a very good weekend for Lawson and the AlphaTauri team in general. Um, so what do you make of it? What do you make of it all, Josh? Because I know you're a New Zealander. I know there's a lot of hype around <laughs> Liam Lawson, understandably. He's been, for me, an excellent standing as an emergency replacement for Ricardo. Do you think he's now entered himself into the conversation for Alpha Tauri going forward? Because, uh, I mean, I don't know how much more you could ask of him as an emergency stand-in. God, you're asking a Kiwi about how a Kiwi F1 driver did. I know. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, the the it's, best prospect New Zealand's had in, like, what, 40 years in Formula something 1? Something like that. It's like... <laughs> I don't count Brendan. I've, I've made my thoughts clear on Brendan Hartley, but um, yeah, like uh, there, there are going to be people, people listening to this and thinking, oh, he's going to, you know, say he's the next best thing and that he'll Superman everyone and get 900 Grand Prix wins. <laughs> Here's where I'm going to intervene here for a moment. Um, because as of recording now, we haven't gotten into Suzuka yet. We mm. don't really know where he's actually been like he's been good good races good performances from him but yuki hasn't driven a lap in two of those grand prix we don't really know where the benchmark is and yes he did out qualify him in singapore although in q1 yuki was ahead and in monza again he was ahead but the gaps have been much closer than it was with uh, nick devries which has got to account for something like I'm realist. I am a fanboy and I am, you know, biased in that regard. But having <laughs> said that, I will be realistic about a driver's performance. I think it has been good, but you're asking to throw Liam up against Max Verstappen, who mm. is just um soul crushingly fast driver and doesn't make much many mistakes. And you're asking him to do that in a matter of, like, it would potentially be his fifth race in Formula One. That would almost certainly guarantee you would be setting up Liam to fail there. As much faith as, as I have in him, you need talent. You need to nurture talent, you know, and you need to give them time. And I would love Liam to get a full time seat next year. It would have to be without the pressure of going up against Max. So, Whilst, I mean, and I'm a big Checo fanboy. I've been, I've been repping the boys since way in his Sauber days mm, when he mm. was pr- like like doing those godly drives, you know, in 2012. Those big tire-wear saving days where he got on the podium. Those were good times. Man. Yes, those <laughs> ones. And like, and especially sometimes in Baku where it's just like, okay, Lewis won, Bottas or Vettel. Was that? What? Where'd this Force India come from? It's the most random sight ever. Checo Mm. just randomly come through with a podium. We know what Checo can do, but yeah, there is is a point about that, about how replacing him, replacing Checo has to be in the discussion since, you know, um, he took out half the grid in the last race and the performances (laughs) haven't quite been there. So I can see the reason why people would be suggesting Liam to Red Bull. I think that may be too much pressure for Liam. Rather put Daniel Ricciardo into there for the 2024 season. Let let, um, let Yuki and Liam fight it out for 2024. When he gets the Red Bull seat, the loser goes to the glue factory. <laughs> I like the perspective. I mean, yeah, my personal take on this is that Lawson has been about as good as you could reasonably ask for a yeah. rookie that's come in at the 11th hour. You know, like Zanville, he brought the car home in very difficult conditions. Monza, he was competitive, just missed out on the points there. Um, Singapore, again, in the points comfortably in the end. Best result of the year for the team. That's a really, really good result. Um, everybody seemed to be really happy with that. And look, I completely get the hype. 
I wouldn't go as far as to say Red Bull seat because let's not forget nah. what happened with Alex Albon. Alex Albon exactly. made his Formula One debut with the artists formerly known as Toro Rosso, only did 12 Grand Prix with them and then was thrust into the main seat against Max Verstappen. And he was basically asked as a rookie, keep up with a generational talent. Like that was asking for trouble. And unsurprisingly, Albon could not stay with Verstappen over the season and a half they were together. Um, and yeah, it dented Albon's confidence. Clearly, he was out of F1 for a year and he's had to rebuild himself at Williams. He's done, he's done, he's done a stellar job at that. It's credit to him. Um, but nothing good came from the Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon double experiment that we had um, in, in the middle of Max's rise to prominence. I lessons should be learned from that experience. And don't get me wrong, Liam Lawson is an exciting talent. I, I, I've really liked how he's driven the car. He's barely put a foot wrong um, in the three race weekends he's had. I also think that you've got to see out the Daniel Ricciardo experiment because if you're sacking Nick DeFries after 10 races, which I think was still a harsh sacking, but I understand why it happened. Um, if you're going to do it and you were never that high on DeFries in the first place and you felt like you had to move him on straight away, fine. But now you've got to see what Ricardo has got. You played into the narrative that there was a chance Ricardo could be in the factory team again by 2025. You played into that narrative like, yeah, well, Daniel's here to fight for a Red Bull seat again. Horner had no problem peddling that argument. So you've got to see the Ricardo experiment through. He's only had two Grand Prix since coming back, since he broke his metacarpal in Zandvoort. You need to see where he stacks up. You like, I, I, I get the arguments against Yuki Sonoda as well, because Sonoda, I think, I, I personally think Sonoda has genuinely improved, regardless of if his teammate is in the other seat. But the fact it was the freeze for a lot of that improvement does throw some doubt into that as to just like how much of it is him, how much of it is the fact he finally had a poor teammate. There's arguments you can make for all three drivers in that scenario. I I agree with you, Josh. I think the bottleneck is Sergio Perez more than the three Alpha Tari guys that are fighting for a job. Mm. That's yeah, the, the question I have <laughs> at the moment. Sorry for the interruption. Um, no, no I think Ricardo's seat at um, AlphaTauri or Bulls Racing, as it'll be next year, or Hugo Boss Bulls Racing, or Hugo Boss Big Bulls Bulls Racing, whatever it's going to be called. Um, that is almost racing, guaranteed. Yeah. yeah, That's almost guaranteed because yeah. of just as mark, uh, just as marquee value. Yeah. You know? like he's like, on the, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've said from day one, he was probably the biggest winner of the Drive to Survive era that Formula One has gone through. Like Hamilton was already super popular. Vettel was already <laughs> super popular. Verstappen didn't take part for many, many years. Ricardo was arguably the biggest winner of that show as a prominent regular on that show from year to year. His story was always followed. A lot of people grew to like him for his sense of humor and Australian charisma and all of that that comes with Ricardo. I was going to say, if you're going to have a big name title sponsor on your team next year, for marketing's sake, you need Ricardo on your team. You don't want yeah, your, your two drivers to be a bunch to be relative nobodies. Like, and I, I love Sonoda and I love Lawson. They're not Ricardo in terms of popularity. No, so no. you've you've got. To, I mean, that, that is a difficult yeah. thing, isn't it? Mm. Like, it's 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 why I was. Don't get me wrong. When I when I saw the news, I was just like, oh. <laughs> you, you can't yeah. do this to Liam, but when it, uh, but when I saw the one, I'm like, I can't argue with that because you can totally see where it's coming from. Ricardo's got great marquee value, and let's not forget, he's won what is it six Grand Prix? Is it eight? Like, I want to say he knows eight. Yes, yes. Sorry, got me maths wrong there. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, like it, he he's got the accolades. We know what he can do. We know what he can do with the with the Red Bull. Car. I mean, I know it's. Is a bit different, you know. Mm. It's well, it's about to make an analogy there, but uh, I don't want you getting uh, in the wrong books here. But <laughs> my 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 whole point is is that uh, is that Ricardo brings a lot of things to the table, and the marquee thing is obviously what get, is what's going to keep him in there. So that's no cool. With Yuki, you can't you can't really give a reason to drop him. Like, no. you know, look, I can. Uh, 
this is a hot take on its own. I personally would rate um, Liam over Yuki just based on what I saw in Junior Formula when they were teammates. However, sure. that, that can't be used as an excuse to say, okay, well, uh, Yuki, Kaki Town Opera, you got to go. Uh, you got to go and uh, give Liam a seat. No, you can't do that because no. you've got to base it off what Yuki's done in Formula One. And this year, I mean, screw his first year. I, I don't care. It's about how has he been so far this year? Has he put a foot wrong? Has Not he much. been lackluster? No. no. And there's been so. a few times where you looked at him and you know that Alpha Tower that the Alpha Tari isn't that great, but he's putting it up there. So. Mm. You can't really make an argument against that lineup. It's perfectly sound. But if you look over, and I love Checo to death, but can you say it's been a good year for him? No. No. No, it's 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 not been good at all. So that is the choke point. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know about putting Liam in there. That's that's uh that's quite a uh, quite a task to put upon him. Yeah, I, I think I think that's one ask too many, Hannah. If I'm being honest with you on that take, I think I I, I see where you're coming from. I, I I can see the logic. How I would do it is I would cut bait with Checo at the end of the season. I would put Ricardo in the factory team again, and I would let Sunoda and Lawson fight out to be number one contender next year in whatever the new name the AlphaTauri team. I don't. I think it's too risky to put Lawson in there with Verstappen and expect him to be closer to him than a 10 year plus veteran in Sergio Perez. Um, this is like that second Red Bull seat is where young drivers go to be incinerated. And I don't, I don't want to see that happen to Lawson again. So with that in mind, I'm going to say two. However, I do agree with what you're saying, Hannah, in that I think Checo is the choke point in the Red Bull setup and not any of the three drivers competing for that seat. So I get, I'll put two with an asterisk on it that I do agree with what you're saying about Checo's seat being the one at risk. So in fact, I will upgrade it to a three for that reason alone and say, hey, there is an asterisk that is worth taking in, taking on board here that I, I agree that the choke point here is is Checo. And I think that is the problem here. But I, I don't think Lawson should be the one to replace him. I think Ricardo is a much safer bet for everybody concerned, is what I, is what I would say. How would you score that one, Josh? Yeah, and the, the whole time I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll put it at three because it's it's not that bad a take. I mean, it's genuinely not you know that, that bad. It's just... We need to be careful here because the amount of times we see Red Bull drivers being recycled out, it's like this is this not healthy. We need a I would like to some I would like for some of these people to stay, you know, more than seven minutes in that seat. <laughs> like just nurture the talent. I mean, Max was rough around the edges at one point. You know, the, the, yes. these these drivers are not going to be overnight polished pro- products. So putting a Basically, a rookie in a Red Bull seat is going to get massacred. Any anyone would, anyone would. So, yeah, you know, there's, there's I, maybe, I there's appreciate maybe, you. Yeah, yeah. I maybe, appreciate that. That is the path of Liam hmm. going up to um, that seat. I am definitely on board with that, but that's too fast a rate of progression. It needs to be, you know, it needs to be tempered. It needs to be done right. Um. So, yeah, that's that's just basically about it. Yeah, exactly. I, I think nurture what you've got. Lawson looks like he could be a very solid F1 driver at worst. I just don't want to see that pattern go uh, happen to him again where he goes to a senior seat too quickly and he gets incinerated by Max and then we're back to square one again. And that's that's mm-hmm. kind of the reason why Red Bull's been in this pickle with its drivers for the last two or three years as it is. And that was because you, you, you threw Gasly and Albon to the lines too quickly and they ended up having their careers damaged for it. So let's, let's not do that again. Uh, I'd like to see Lawson stick around for a bit in a secure environment rather than just saying, hey, you're up against Max now. Good luck. Um, because we all know how that story ends and it's not good. Um, expecting anybody to keep up with Max is a tough ask indeed. This episode of Hot Takes Wednesday is brought to you by Manscaped. Fellas, are you running into some stubble trouble? Are you dreaming of that clean shaven look, but hate going through the hassle of a wet shave every other day? 
I know you are. That's why we've partnered with Manscaped. The brand for below the waist is coming to save that beautiful face. Yes, sir. Manscaped now has beard products and is going a step further with the launch of their brand new handyman electric face shaver. It's designed to give your face that smooth and chiseled finish without the mess of a traditional shave. You heard that correctly. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming changed the game with their Beard Hedger Pro Kit, a high-tech piece of art in a travel-sized package with a long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. Now they're going a step further with their brand-new handyman, an electric face shaver, for a quick and convenient way to achieve a clean-shaven look. Whether you're looking to sharpen up your neckline or give your face that smooth finish, the handyman has you covered. If you're like me, you know clean-shaven is a hassle. The handyman is the perfect compact tool I can take with me on the go to achieve that clean-shaven look without all of the effort. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code WTF1 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code WTF1. Hit the refresh button with the handyman. Also, we're proud to announce that the WTF1 Clubhouse is back for 2024. Come along and camp with WTF1 for the 2024 British Grand Prix. The WTF1 Clubhouse is now available to book for next year, so grab yourself a spot. You get to hang out with the whole gang. There's endless entertainment at the campsite with a DJ, a pub quiz, a sim competition, and more. Plus, it's only a 15-minute walk to the track. You can visit the site to book right now at WTF1.com forward slash clubhouse. Link is in the description down below. Take number two comes from Aiden Largan. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Aiden. Um, forgive me if I haven't. Um, but watch this show becomes an IndyCar podcast very briefly for the next 10 minutes. Colton Herter would have done worse than the threes in AlphaTauri this year. His lack of European experience would have hurt him apart from Kota. Uh, so Colton Herder would have done worse than the freeze in AlphaTauri. His lack of European experience would have hurt him apart from Colton. Now, for some context, for those who may not know, Helmut Marco tried to get Colton Herter in the AlphaTauri for this very season that we're watching right now last year. The problem was was that um, Colton Herter's super license points did not add up to 40. There was a, there's a quirk in the super license rules where I believe you need 12 cars on a grid for your points to count. So when Colton Herter was in Indy Lights, their development series, there was only seven full-time cars in the series. So his 12 points he would have gotten for finishing, I think, as Indy Lights runner-up that would have counted and would have given him a super license didn't count. And as a result, the FIA were not going to grant him a super license and Red Bull tried to take advantage of that with a quirk in the rules. Didn't work out. They moved on from Colton. They hired Nick DeFries instead. And, well, we all know how well that turned out. So, I mean, Josh, I know you watch a fair amount out of IndyCar when you can. So, And I and, I, and obviously I, I cover the series pretty extensively in other platforms. So we know what we're talking about with, with, with IndyCar and Colton Herter. How do you think he would have fared in that environment? You know what sucks is that... I heard from good authority that he would have been racing in Formula Regional Oceania um, the previous uh, season, which was started this year, to help get those super license points. Mm. And it would have been great to see him down here, but it also shows you just how serious this whole thing was. And I guess it kind of, you know, still is if Andretti get their way. But, um, you know... Uh, this there's this weird weird rule with the FIA about you know if you're an IndyCar F2 you can't go back to a Formula Regional, which yeah. is stupid. But the, you know, the, 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 it's the, the FIA doing FIA things. Yeah, they, they don't want can crushing going on. Basically, right? It's no. like someone that's massively overqualified is going into a junior, so he's meant to bring people up. You got Colton coming in there as an IndyCar veteran at that point, and you know coming in and crushing that field. It's it is a bit it is a bit unfair. So I can see the logic to mm. a degree. Yeah, for sure. Um, like yeah. So, but that that was all trying to get him to Formula One at AlphaTauri. But of course, I don't know with Marco, you can't really. Uh, he keeps you guessing nowadays. When yes. he does, it's like, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing this time? So it's like, oh, now, now you want, uh, now you want Colton. Now you want Pelot. Now you want awards. Oh, you're now looking at Isaac Hadjar. 
oh, you know, I want Nick DeVries now, Liam Lawson. Eh, I don't think he's going to be much of anything. Then you hire Nick DeVries and you get rid of him after 10 races through buyer's remorse. You bring in Liam Lawson and he sets the world on fire. Just tells you how well you're doing your job now. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> um, I t- I'm definitely not going to get invited into Ripple hospitality anytime soon. But no, I mean, uh, just, we're, um, we're boned in that regard. Getting on to that. <laughs> yes, uh, that's, uh, that's us done. Unfortunately, we're going to have to be... Um, we're gonna to have to be sipping on uh, whatever Haas have in their um in their hospitality. But you know the thing is, is that um, Colton doing worse than DeVries. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, not that bad a take, you know. Not necessarily for the reasons uh, strictly that has been pointed out here, mm. because the thing is, us F one you know merchants remember a certain person called Juan Pablo Montoya. Right. And he, he came in off of, was it two years of, uh, of cart? Wasn't very was much. Three years? I think it was, either, it was, I think it was either one or it, two it years. It wasn't two. a lot. Yeah. yeah it, it, it wasn't it a lot. It must've been two because he came in sort of after the Zanardi era kind of, oh no, no, Zanardi was still there, but uh, oh. oh no, hang on. I'm getting my history wrong. I'm not quite as knowledgeable as I thought, but <laughs> <laughs> no. So m- my point is that, Montoya came in, and yeah, Williams were very damn good back then. Yeah, title level. You you can still show what you've got even in a Minardi. We saw Alonso do that in 2001. And Montoya showed what he could do coming in off that scene. And sure, he had some European experience, but not all the tracks needs to be said. So with, mm. um, with Colton, you know... That he's effectively going from the same sort of scenes, of course. Um, but to completely counter the argument I just said, I did just remember that Montoya did at least two years before going to cart a Formula Three thousand, right? Which so, yeah, basically, did, basically did half of the um, did half of the F one calendar. So he did have that relative experience. Um, and Colton, the, the closest he's had is one weekend in Euro Formula where I think he was at Catalonia mm. and a season of British F4 where he ran really close to to Logan Sargent and Oscar Pastry. So, you know, <laughs> like it's, it is a case really where, you know, he has done some things over in the UK but uh, and, uh, and Europe. As well, but you're talking about two tracks here, which would be Silverstone and Barcelona. Then you got he's done Cota as well, cool. But that's three tracks in. By the time he comes in, a 38 race calendar. So you know, <laughs> like it is difficult really to learn all that stuff on the fly, especially in a team and environment that demands so much immediately. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, you know what, the more and more I think about this, the more and more I start thinking, yeah, there's not much false in this as much as I love Colton, as much as I think that that dude is the bee's knees in IndyCar, despite the struggles at Andretti right now, I have to agree with this. You know, you got to look at it objectively, take away the fan fandom and like, Colton has got much more reason to do much worse than what DeVries did based on exactly that lack of experience on those tracks, totally different environment. It would be completely different for him. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Like when I first thought, when I first saw this, I was like, Colton Hurt is a really, really talented IndyCar driver. He, you know, he's been top 10 in the championship multiple times. He was top three um in his first full season with andretti he's a, he's an immense talent no no question but then i thought about it a bit more and then you're like well <clears throat> nick defries say what you will about him had an excellent record in racing before he joined formula one in the first place and that probably went against him a little bit the fact that yes he was a formula two champion yes he was like the fourth man looking in when what i call the class of 2018 when norris russell and albon went up together um the freeze was the fourth man in in you know, in that series he won the title the year after but i think he was kind of destined to be not looked at 
as as fondly for the reason of those three dudes all went up the year before and then the, the number one threat to the Freezer's Formula 2 title was Nicholas Latifi, which was never going to go well for him. And Latifi, you know, got an F1 seat and, and the Freeze didn't, which was just unfortunate. Um, he was a Formula E world champion in his own right as well. Like that's, that is worth something. That is an F1 quality field. A lot of the drivers in that series are former F1 drivers or guys that were in the conversation to be Formula One drivers. Um, you know, the, you know, Andre Lotterer, Stoffel Van Dorn, you know, Oliver Rowland was a very talented junior, um, in, on the ladder ranks and things like that. So there was, there was plenty of talent in there to, to justify what the freeze had done. Colton Herter has never really prolifically raced in Europe. There'll be a, there'll be a steep learning curve for him. Um, no question. Um, and honestly, <clears throat> like with that in mind, um, the more I think about it, the more I think you may be onto something with that take, Aiden. I think it's it's if the freeze is going in there and struggling straight away, there's a lot of drivers that would likely struggle in that sort of environment. Like I don't mm-hmm. like Colton Herter is a very good IndyCar driver. I, I also don't think he's the most talented youngster to come out of that series. When I when I was seeing the super license debates kick off about Colton Herter and an F1 seat, I was like, Pato Award is right there. And Pato Award <laughs> has a more prolific junior career in European countries and arguably was an even more exciting talent um, mm-hmm. than Colton Herter was. And I thought Pato was the guy that should have gotten an F1 opportunity more than Colton Herter did. Um, so Josh took the words right out of my mouth. The more I think about it, the more I think, yeah, Herter probably would struggle in that environment. And it's, it might be for the best that he stays in IndyCar and not have to go down that road of the very high pressure Alpha Tauri environment, the Red Bull Academy, which we all know is ruthless as hell when it comes to how it treats its talents, and a teammate of Yuki Sonoda who absolutely got better in year three, as we've now seen as this, as this season has played out. So, um, yeah, like, Colton, you don't need F1, buddy. You don't. You, you IndyCar's have- better. IndyCar is a more fun series and you could have a 20 year mm. career over there and you're beloved in the Andretti lineup. And if Andretti gets their F1 team eventually, Hey, you're number one in line. You and Kyle Kirkwood, you've got all, you've, you've already got all the talent you need in your camp right there already. I am salivating at the prospects of an all American lineup of Kyle Kirkwood and Colton Hurts and formula. One, I, mm. I, need, I need a towel. <clears throat> <laughs> while while Josh grabs a towel, I, I I would say this is probably a four from me. I actually agree with this. I, I was thinking on the lower end at first, but like the way we've talked about it, it's kind of swung me round on the idea. So I'm going to say four on this one. How do you feel about it, Josh? I'll go five. Five? Because, I mean, <laughs> can you go? Like, can you go? Can anyone really look at that and argue against it. This has nothing to do with how we think Colton is as a driver. That's something we have to preface here. Mm. We're not saying Colton can't drive. It's just, if we think that what Liam Lawson's going through is a steep learning curve, then what is this? Right. And then you're also like, also how long would Ripple be willing to give him? How long would Marco be willing to give him? Because I mean, even with Yuki, he's still here, but there was talk going into Zanvoort in his first year about, oh, he may get the cut. Plus, 10-11 races in. And Yuki had been on the road to F1 with F3 and F2, Euro Formula Open. So he's had that exposure to the European tracks. And he drowned initially. Nick DeVries had all the experience in the world. I mean, anyone, you know sort of growing up in the 2020s, remember him back in, his, back in the McLaren tuned days. Right. You know, that's how far back it was starting. Cheers, Prof. All that experience, and he still drowned. So what's going to happen to a dude who's had 10 or 11 months exposure in Europe? Like, yeah, I have the- all the faith in Colton to be able to pull off one of the most stonking laps you'd ever have ever seen before your eyes at Laguna Seca. If if I started up an IndyCar team, he'd be one of the first drivers I would put in there. 
Mm-hmm. But that's because we know what he could do there. He's had the exposure there. You would be comfortable putting him in there. But as much as a fan I am of him in that regard, oy, 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 oy. like Formula One, you need to have at least two, three years for him. De Vries didn't even have 10 races. So if you judge by that, do you really reckon Hurst is going to do better in 10 races? No one in his scenario ever would. No one. Hard to disagree with that. Um, this is a fun one. Um, from Take number three from JFXSW23 on Twitter. Very American sports. If you're into US sports, you'll appreciate this take. Um, this is regarding the cost cap. It's a little bit complicated, so bear with me here. It goes, quote, allow teams to spend above the salary cap, but institute a luxury tax on any money spent above the cap. Money collected from this tax is then split amongst all teams, giving the top teams freedom to develop while giving the bottom teams extra cash for they wouldn't have had. So you want to go full American sports, baseball style. I think the NBA is like this a little bit as well. Um, but no, baseball is definitely like this, where you're putting in a luxury tax on the cost cap. So you can, you can go over, but if you do, your money, if you, the, the extra money that you go over by will be split amongst the other teams. So that's one way of potentially improving competition amongst the sport. I mean, Josh, I don't know how many, I don't know how much of the American sports you watch um, to, to have a salary tax, to have, to have a luxury tax brought in on it. Do you think that's something that is viable in Formula One? Could that work? And would it, would you agree with it if it, if it came, ever came around? I don't know because that's that's muddy waters for sure. Like, mm. I mean, I guess. I guess for people that have more exposure to this, that they would be able to see this differently. I guess I like the more simplistic idea of having having a salary cap. And just like, well, if you're over it, then you don't get to go into the wind tunnel as much, I I suppose. Those was those were some very expensive sausage rolls in the Red Bull catering, but mm-hmm. I digress. Um I don't know, like uh, in theory, having the salary cap, you all have the same ceiling. Right. And you've got to be resourceful. Like, take Force India, you know, back in the day. They were prolific back in the 2010s through simply just using what they had and being as resourceful as anyone else on the grid. They achieved a lot with nowhere near the resources. And you think... If everyone has the same ceiling, you're restricted to that and you've got to be resourceful for what you've got. That forces out other talents other than just throwing money at it. So that's why I would prefer the salary cap because it invokes that very aspect of the sport where, you know, the engineers, the mechanics, the designers, they all play their part rather than it just being a... a, a money game, which again, we're all trying to lower the costs of uh, of motor racing in the road to Formula One, which is why now F3 and F2 go over to Australia, for example, and the seasons now cost, what is it, two, three million euros a yeah. year? Yeah. We, we got, got to get cheaper. And so we're, we're now on the road to that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know. For me, I do I watch many American sports. Uh, yeah, I don't quite get into them to the depth of knowing about that. But <laughs> like I, I guess I just hearing that hearing that take um hearing that take right now personally I'm not I'm not in favor of that. I'd rather just stick with the uh rather just stick with the salary cap proposition for now on the basis that you know as I outlined it would force teams to be more more resourceful, bring out you know potentially closer competition, and also because it's about ten o'clock in the evening right now, and I just don't want to do any more complex maths. <laughs> that is as valid a reason as any. I'll tell you how I feel about it as someone that does watches a, a massive degree of American sports and is aware of roughly how a luxury tax would work. Um, my perspective on that is you need to be very careful about how that money is divvied up 
is is my general conclusion is that well how, you'd have to have a very rigid structure in place to say okay if you go over by this much this is how much we're going to punish you for it and then what how would that money get divvied up amongst the rest of the teams would it be equal amongst everybody else you know would it be that the lower the lower end teams get more of that, like the pyramid structure we often get, for example, because the wind tunnel allowances, for example, the baseline's at seventh place. If you're lower than that, you get more than what the baseline figure would be. And obviously you lose 5% for each position you go up the board every six months. So you, uh, people that are a lot smarter than me would have to crunch some serious numbers to make that fair and for also to the point where teams would agree to do it um because yeah i i have no doubt that the bigger teams would have no problem going over the cost cap if it meant guaranteeing them a championship but also you'd have to you'd have to form you'd have to come up with a formula that would punish you enough to make a team consider not doing so. Like how much would you have to go over and what would be the rate of going over that cap to generate enough luxury tax to make a team second guess itself? Because before the cost cap, F1 teams had no problem spending two, 300 million a year developing their cars, trying to win a championship. I remember you mentioned the, 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 like the Force India era, Josh. I remember when Toyota, was around and looking back on it now, Toyota were dropping half a billion a year in today's money trying to develop a car that was a title winner and they just ran out of cash. They couldn't justify it anymore. Just when they were there was rumors the 2010 Toyota was going to be a world beater. But just as when they were getting to that point, that's when Toyota pulled the plug. Um and they were spending stupid money trying to get it there and as josh quite rightly said it's not how much you spend it's 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 what you do with it that that matters most um i digress though i i think you'd have to work very hard in to, to come up with a luxury tax system that would work um i love the idea i i, I love the concept so like I, I love we had to take a couple of weeks ago about having a promotion and relegation system for drivers like like in football and i would love that idea but the, the implementation would be very very difficult um con- out of the way contracts are who'd be obligated to hire someone etc again I like I I have to say one for this because I think you'd have to it would be a very very complicated system and you'd have to work very hard to come up with a way to make it fair and balanced for everybody. But I love the idea. I love the creative thinking to think, hey, yeah, sod it. Let the big teams go over, but as long as it makes the little guys work a little bit better as well by again siphoning off some money towards helping their development on the bottom end of the board. I love the idea. I just, again, think the implementation would be really, really difficult. So I have to say one here, but again, I'm putting an asterisk on it to say, love the thinking, (laughs) really do. Like It's like that clip from Will Smith in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where he goes, he's a little confused, but he's got the spirit. And and that's generally how I feel about it. But again, love the idea. Josh, what do you reckon real quick? I'll give you a five for that Fresh Prince uh, uh, reference. Love that. that is, the OP, <laughs> is the OP show of the 90s. No, no show was greater than that one. Agreed. Um, yeah. I, I'll give it a two on the basis that, again, I like that idea, but in practice, you're, you're basically trying to rein in all these characters in the FIA in the friggin' F1 Teams Alliance. <laughs> yeah. Um <clears throat> I couldn't I couldn't trust them to fairly split the bill at a uh, at a restaurant. <laughs> Never mind in the FIA World Championship. Like there will be conjecture. I do not trust these clowns at all. So again, yeah, like Dre, like the idea, but you put too much trust in these characters, man. So, yeah, the the yeah, execution the execution would be very sloppy, uh, and and I don't trust these dudes. And look, if there's one thing the cost cap era has proven that the, at least in the first year <laughs> is that people did not know what they were doing when they were filing those reports. So even if you look beyond Red Bull breaking it, you also had 
Williams not filed their paperwork correctly, and you had Aston Martin, who got confused over the price of tables and chairs, which was a very funny story, but obviously everybody ignored that when it was found out that Red Bull actually broke it, and then what the punishment was going to be, that became the main story, but that was also very funny on the side, alongside that. So 30% of the teams did not fill in their cost cap sheet correctly at certain points. Um, So good luck throwing a luxury tax on top of that too. Um, so uh, yeah that'll be very funny to see happen and there'll be a lot of people scratching their heads regarding how to make that work properly but again love the idea a couple of more conventional tips to end the episode this week first up from Leo Darman who says at the moment Signs is a top three driver have been thinking that all year not just off the back of Singapore (laughs) Carlos Signs as much as a top three driver Josh how do you feel about that one Okay. Um. <laughs> so, um. Okay. So you got a question. You got a question about obviously Max and Lewis will be number one, number two. I think that's you fair have to, say. to say. Yeah. You are saying that you would put signs ahead of Alonso. Is 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 that what you're saying? Is that really what you're saying? Uh, that, that, come, that, come on, man! It's too it's too late for this stuff. Like <laughs> that's the impression uh, look, I'm getting. I, I, the last two rounds, Monza, Singapore, have been fantastic for signs. Mm. Where has this guy been the whole year? Where has he been? When it was like, how many podiums did Charles get this year three. before this happened? Three, yeah, three. And I'm not trying to take anything away from signs what he did in the last two rounds. But you're going to say, you're seriously going to say that you're going to put him ahead of Alonso right now through the season that he's had. And not just that. Ahead of Charles through what he's done his whole year. And yes, Charles too many times is spinning backwards in a cloud of his own smoke. It's slightly problematic. He (laughs) hasn't quite been on his level. Carlos has been better than, sorry, Carlos has been better than Charles as of late but not the whole year and definitely not most of the year. Mate, I respect your opinion, but I sure as hell do not agree with it. <laughs> Dre, be a little bit nicer to this boy because I'm, I'm having to rein myself in here. I'll, I'll try to be the um, the modest one regarding this. Um, I could see the logic. I could see that, you know, the, especially given the last you know, the last two rounds where Sainz has obviously had two excellent weekends at Monza and Singapore that you might go, well, this is it. This is, this is the Carlos Sainz season that we've all been waiting for. I can't get there on this one. Sainz, the thing with Sainz is right. He is an excellent floor guy. He has been consistent most of the year. He's only dropped out. He's only finished outside of the points twice all season. Australia, right, where that penalty knocked him down to 12th. And... Belgium, where his race ended after 10 seconds. I think he was, I think he was predominantly more to blame than Piastri for that Belgium incident, personally. Um, I don't think the punishment fit the crime for either car, but that's racing for you. Um and yes, he is ahead of Leclerc in the championship by 19 points right now. The upside of Ferrari in the last three years since they've been teammates has all come from Charles Leclerc. He has racked up wins. He's racked up pole positions. Yes, Leclerc does have one or two moments a year where he will spin out or he will make a mistake that will cost him a decent result here and there. And I think psychology-wise, that sticks out in people's heads more. So I can see why people are a bit higher on signs as a consistency guy as opposed to an upside guy. The Clerfin. I also say this is just 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 quickly. This is very that's very reminiscent of uh, Colton as well, isn't it? Yes. Over in IndyCar, everyone you know racks on about you know what's detrimental about Colton. You know he crashes all the time, but does he? When you look back on it, he doesn't really. No, and but I mean they are kind of very similar in in that regard. But you know, like also I'll just throw this in as well. Science has been better this year than Norris. That way, is that what you're saying? 
like there is i'm really struggling to you know yeah get on get on board with this but i apologize for interrupting uh no 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 no. i I, I can see where you're coming from um i've got no problem with guests coming in if they feel they've got a valid point to make um no I, I i see where you're coming from Signs is signs for me is a great floor guy. He is a great baseline for what your team and car can do. I don't think it's a coincidence that Ferrari have packed some understeer into that car, and all of a sudden, signs has looked a lot stronger in the last two or three races. And again, like Zandvoort, for an for example, Sainz did pretty well to finish that race in fifth, given Ferrari were nowhere all weekend, and because Charles Leclerc got into an early tangle with Lando Norris on the first lap. It made Leclerc look probably look worse than he deserved by comparison because it was a minor tap, but it did damage the crap out of Leclerc's car. Again, that's racing for you. The upside in Ferrari has always come from Charles. Always. He's a better qualifier than Carlos Sainz is, generally speaking. And the better days that Ferrari have had until the last two rounds of this season has come from Charles. He had three podiums of his own right earlier this year. Belgium, Austria and Azerbaijan have all been Leclerc podiums. And you go, yeah, you remember how good Charles Leclerc can be when he's on it. I think it's the psychology of how we as fans treat drivers, where it's like, if you have a bad weekend, it sticks out a lot more than a mediocre one. And I think that's what goes against Charles sometimes, where he has the big upsides and the big downsides, and people judge him more by the downsides of that than Carlos Sainz has been a consistently Good driver, but maybe not an elite one. I think there was a credible argument that Charles Leclerc was a top three driver in the sport until maybe this year with Alonso proving he is still really, really good when he's got a competitive car underneath him, which Alonso did not have for many, many years in F1. Um, Alonso has come into this year and proven that he is still an outstanding racing driver. Something that is a bit harder to do when you're stuck in, you know, Alpines and midfield level cars like that. It's harder to stand out. But I digress. For me, Signs is good. Signs has had a, an excellent run of form since the summer break. I wouldn't be putting him in the top three. I think that's far too soon. I think he needs a full season on this kind of level where I could start having a conversation about science as a top three driver in the sport because I can I completely agree with Josh. Max and Lewis are one and two. However you want to order them is up to you. They, for me, are the two clear best drivers in F1. Alonso, I think, is clearly a very close third to that. And then you've got a nice little hodgepodge of dudes like like Sainz, Leclerc, Russell, Norris are all, I think you could all make credible arguments for those dudes in their respective positions. So I've got to say two on this one. I'm going to be nice and say two on this one. I could see why you've drawn that conclusion. I think I, I could maybe mangle an argument for Sainz in that scenario, but it wouldn't be a winning one. So I'm going to say two on this one. Josh, I got a feel I know where you're going to go on this, but uh, hit me with it, brother. I I respect your opinion. Again, I'm not having to go at you necessarily, <laughs> but to say that science, but to say that science is a top three driver right now with Lando and, and uh, Fernando being there as well. This is probably about the worst take when it comes to drivers since Marco said that Enrico Bernaldi was better than Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, well done, bro. Like. Uh, <laughs> Look, he's. Uh, I understand he's been fantastic last couple of rounds. He played Singapore beautifully. Oh, he was definitely faster than Charles in Monza and Singapore. Do not think for a moment I'm trying to dis- to diminish any of this, but uh, you reckon top three? Uh, uh, all right, but his. <laughs> We definitely do not share the same opinions there. Right, right, definitely not. So is that, is that a one for you, Josh, on that one? <laughs> oh, yes, here's your one. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, right, last take of the episode comes from Quinn Chaser. And this, this is a fun one. McLaren will finish the season above Aston Martin in the Constructors. Now, an update regarding that. Aston Martin are on 217 points. 
right now. McLaren's on 139. So I make that a 78-point gap. We have seven races left to go in this season. So in seven rounds, can McLaren make up 78 points on Aston Martin between now and the end of the year? It looks like Aston's fading in that fight for second. This now seemingly might be a chase down fight for fourth between Aston Martin and McLaren. So like I said, 78 points between the two teams right now with seven rounds to go. A lot of points up for grabs still. Uh, McLaren will have been the hot hand for the last few races since their upgrade packages have come through. Aston Martin slipped a little bit, you know, and and, and, and uh, how, how are you looking at this one, Josh? Now I'm giving you the math for you, so you'd have to you'd have to, you'd have to work them out late at night. <laughs> I'm rapidly searching through these standings right now. It's <laughs> it's it's been a it's been quite remarkable how the fortune in teams has changed as much. Absolutely, you know, it's, it's just crazy. Aston, Aston Martin started the year with the second best car. Alonso was racking up podiums for fun. Well, I remember he, he, I remember in Spain, he famously said, this is the last time we're going to finish off the podium. They've only had two since then. Um, <laughs> a couple of second places <laughs> here and there. Very, very good days. But then since then, McLaren has been ultra hot with Lando and Norris. Three second places since that upgrade package came in in Austria. Piastri's also followed him through on a, on a couple of occasions as well. Um, McLaren are now the hot hand. They're they're the they're the informed team at the moment. Aston Martin have generally struggled for a little while now, and of course, there's the Lance Stroll-sized elephant in the room regarding their potential for scoring points at the moment. But how do you feel about it all, Josh? It's 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 it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. So it's seventy points between the two with seven rounds remaining, right? Yes. We're not talking about simply McLaren need to score 70 points in the next few rounds. They need to score 70 more points than Aston Martin can score, or at least 70 in that range anyway. That's a hard ask because Aston are not going to go pointsless for the rest of the year. Mm. So you're asking McLaren to bring in a huge points haul, relatively speaking, in these last few rounds. Can they do it? Maybe, but you're asking McLaren to... Look at podium. Uh, look at the podium almost every round. Not impossible, but just probably not probable. So I think it will be close, but they'll just miss out because even though, even though Sir Lancelot right now is not giving me much ammo to defend him with, like. I think there needs to be. I think there needs to be a little bit of honesty at that team right now, but Fernando is still there. After all, we're talking about top three drivers, aren't we? No, right. we, we know what Fernando can do. You know he's going to get as much out of that car as possible. That's going to make the gap between Aston and McLaren still be a gap. You know, so even with how good McLaren have been lately. Their drivers, Lando, Pastry, fantastic. But, you know, the gap's not going to... The uh, points that Aston have are not going to stay that way for the rest of the year. And in seven rounds, that's a bit too much to rein in. So, like, it is a bit of wishful thinking because I think we're all just really glad to see McLaren uh, starting to get good again. Yes. You know? Definitely. But... It's sort of too little, too late, probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think this is going to be close. I think McLaren's got a stronger car than Aston Martin right now, and I think Lando Norris, in in in, in his hands, Lando is good enough to podium in that car on a good day. Alonso might be just good enough to keep Aston Martin afloat. Like, it depends a lot on if Aston Martin's got any updates that can maybe cement them back in that top three, top four sort of zone with Mercedes and and Ferrari's been really hot the last two two or three weekends. And they're now actually genuinely in the fight for second again now. Um, So it depends how Sainz and Leclerc get down. It depends on what Mercedes do, who I think have been like the consistent, maybe number three team, but their consistency's got them second overall as a result of that because they don't make very many mistakes. 
sorry george um and <laughs> and seeing where where norris and mclaren and where piastri facts in because that's the key for me it's not going to be norris it's going to be piastri who, who is a good scorer but he's not at lando's level yet and uh, as I say this, they've literally just announced a, a contract extension for Oscar Piastri. So congrats to him. He's there at McLaren now till 2026. So good for him. Um, but Piastri needs more top five, top six weekends to back Norris up. If that happens, I think there's a good chance McLaren might be able to reel them in. But Piastri's not quite there yet. So like it's like it's fourths and fifths. He was seventh in Singapore. They're okay, but it's not big chunks of points. Like seventh gets you what six points. It's okay, but it's not. It's not substantial. If, if you're taking, if you, if you need to chase down seventy eight points in seven rounds, you're looking at ten plus a weekend, roughly ten or eleven, roughly on the maths. So you need. You know, I think you need bigger finishes than seven, four, eight for Piastri. I think he needs to be a little bit higher than that. If he finds some luck and he can follow Norris Homer on a couple more weekends, like like, like Hungary, for example, or like what Belgium maybe could have been, because let's not forget Piastri was second in that sprint that weekend. Um, so I think he has, he, he's got the speed. He's, he's, he's capable of being able to do that. If he can do that, McLaren's got two scorers. Aston Martin realistically only has one because Lance Stroll has been cheats all year um so i think piastri might be the key kicker in this argument um i personally think mclaren will just come up short i think maybe within 20 points i think there's a chance so i'm gonna i'm gonna say two for this take i don't think it's um I don't think it's good. I, I don't think it's impossible. I think they've got a, a chance, certainly. If Aston Martin have more weekends like Singapore, there's definitely a possibility that McLaren can chase them down. That was the first time they've scored no points in a weekend all year. Um, but I think they'll ultimately just come up short for me. So I'm going to say two on this one. How do you feel about it, Josh? You know what's funny? I'm just realizing now. Every single time Fernando comes up with the sort of, you know, uh, last time we're finishing off the podium or now we can fight anytime. It's just like, mm. as soon as he finishes the race, the engineers get on. All right, cool down. Let now don't talk. Yeah. <laughs> don't, <laughs> no don't, don't talk. Cause we're not mate, in this. The, the curse, the curse comes after you say that you, you are your ultimate cursor. 100%. Um, <laughs> so you say you reckon about 20 points difference between the two teams at the end of the year. I think they'll just come up short. I think Aston will just hold on to fourth. I reckon there's going to be about seven or eight points difference. That's really? how close even, it's going to get. Even closer. Wow. You know? Yeah. Now, the thing is this, 10 points on average for McLaren. That is doable. I'd say but like so. I said, it's a moving target here mm-hmm. because Aston are still going to score points now. And the thing is that Aston know as well as anyone else that form is fluid, especially where they're at. Yeah. Go back to 2021. All of that. Yeah. If you want to go back to 2021, if we want to talk about that, that year, um, you know, Monaco and Monaco and Baku, Aston were on fire. They were fantastic. Seb was getting some very nice results, holding off Lewis and Monaco, got the podium in Baku. Yeah. And everyone thought, here we go. This is, you know, the start of the next dynasty. Seb's going to get his fifth championship. It, it, it is five. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this so didn't quite work out. Everyone thought that, and then the wheels fell off that wagon. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm opt- I am, I have just been around the block when it comes to, you know, seeing these teams have two or three good rounds and everyone's like, oh, they're back. You know, like remember last year, the W13 woke up a couple of times and everyone's like, oh, Mercedes is back. It's like, give it a little bit of time. And sure enough, next round comes and they're drowning. So it, it did admit, we, don't, we don't really know. Yeah, because that, that Brazil win they got with Russell was what kept them 
with their sidepod concept. And that dragged, they dragged that into next season. And it's ended up hurting them badly mm. this year because this year has been a write-off for Mercedes. Relative to their very high standards, this year has been a write-off for Mercedes. And part of that was because they thought the zero sidepod concept was worth keeping because they won in Brazil. And that was, that turned exactly. out to be an outlier. So mm. yeah, like it's, you're absolutely right. Form can, can fluctuate and swing on a dime. We never know upgrade packages. A driver can have a bad weekend and that can be a huge point swing potentially. Alonso, even, even before the pit entry and the, the spin, he was still looking good for some points until that mm. botched pit stop at the end. So you never quite know what's going to happen. Um, but I, I, I think they'll just come up short personally. So I'm going two on this mm. one. What, how do you feel about it, Josh, overall, if you had to score it? I'll say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll say, I'll say a wheeze. Um, yeah. It, re- it just does depend upon, obviously form of both teams here. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that having Alonso in a team is a pretty big insurance policy to have in terms of scoring points. Like you haven't got much excuses when it comes to, you know, performance when you got Alonso in there. So right. he's going to score the points for Aston. If that car keeps itself on the road. Um, and so, you know, and like I said, the target's going to be moving there. So however well McLaren may do, and you never know, they may win a race this year. And there you go, 25 points, solid. But if Alonso comes in fifth, still 10 points. So, yeah, you may think, oh, you get 25 points closer to Aston. No, you only get to 15. Yeah, exactly. So it's a very good point. It's, it's, you know, it's like, yeah, McLaren are ch- chasing and gaining, but are they going to get there in time? I think, again, too little, too late about seven or eight points short. Watch McLaren get fourth in the standings now that I've said that. (laughs) Exactly. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out in the end. But that'll do it for this marathon edition of Hot Takes. This is the longest one we've had since since I've taken over the reins, so to speak. But uh, all for some excellent content. I'm glad, glad to have Josh on the show. Tell the good people where they can find you. Not like you need the help or anything. Um, but uh, give yourself a quick plug before we get out of here. <laughs> so I'm on YouTube. Go search up Josh Ravel. Revel, you can say it however you want. Uh, it's, it's on there. Um, I produce uh, YouTube videos on F1 and everything in between. Uh, that's uh, joined up with some uh, ni- nice footage, cool facts, and cave paintings that for some reason uh, come across as animation. Sure, sure. That that works too. Um, look, you don't need me to tell you this, but Josh is one of the best in the business. Like he, he is a, he's a genuinely outstanding YouTuber. I watch every video he makes. And uh yeah, like he, he does not oh, need man, any help. You make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the God's honest truth. He, he's a fantastic YouTuber. He does a he does brilliant uh, work. If you if you're not watching him already, what are you even doing here, quite frankly? Um please give him a watch if you haven't already and subscribe over there. We'll be back. Back next week for another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday after the Japanese Grand Prix. I'm sure you'll have a whole heap of hot takes to get through then. But until next time, he's been Josh Ravel. I've been Dre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Sayonara.